It is intentional today that this is our table because this is amazing. Um, for those of you who weren't here last week, we for Easter Sunday, we talked about victory at the table, and everyone came up and wrote something that they want victory over. And I felt this morning that as we put the bread and the wine, it's really juice, but over these things, it's literally symbolic of the Lord's victory over them. And so, anyways, that's going to be amazing. This this bread is covered in flour, and I'm definitely going to touch my pants, and so there's definitely going to be flour all over me by the end of the day. Um, I want to give a special shout-out to my friend Dane, who's here from Tennessee. Y'all know, um, over the fall, I was in Tennessee and then over in the Middle East, and Dane was my outreach leader. He's an amazing, mighty man of God, and he's visiting me for a few days just to hear me speak, right? That's why you're here? No. <laughs> That's not why he's here, but he is here today. Also, my new friend Ryan over here, who he, um, he's actually from Antioch and just is popping in today. So we love Antioch. We love what the Lord's doing there. Um, also, Ethan Kerrigan. Bro, I love you. I saw you and I said, is that Ethan? Um, Wow, it's so sweet. So it's really fun today because literally my message was just preached through worship and everything we've said. So I don't even feel like I need to bring anything. Like literally it's like it's done. Um, We've been talking about the table for several weeks, but I felt like I just felt this thing of like talking about specifically the body and the blood and the power that's in them for us in our daily lives and how it actually affects our lives. Because we can talk about like, and we've been really good at this. I'm not saying this hasn't been done, but we can talk about like there's victory at the table and there's victory over these things. But I think sometimes the practicals of like, how does this equal breakthrough here? Does that make sense? Like, do y'all know what I mean? Because a lot of times we can hear words that are true and good, but they don't actually impact our hearts. And I grew up in an amazing community, amazing family, hearing the gospel, but it didn't impact my heart. I mean, it did, but not as much as it has now. Because y'all have heard this before, and I'm destined to say it again. This is bread from Wanda. Praise God for Wanda. Where's Wanda? Is Wanda in here? Okay, wow. The Lord has gifted Wanda with his amazing ability to make beautiful bread that tastes more beautiful even than it looks. But I could look at this bread all day long. I could smell it. It smells so good. I could smell it. But until I eat it, it doesn't nourish me. I could even break this bread. A lot of you wish I would do this. I could break this bread and hand it out to you. Yeah, Jason, literally last week, Jason said, how dare you eat bread in front of all of us? Well, we have these lousy wafers. Sorry. I don't know what to say about that. Just make, yeah, I don't know. Make a deal with Wanda, I guess. Um... I could hand this out to you, and you could be nourished by it. But until I eat it, I'm not nourished by it. I could literally be starving to death and hand you bread that feeds you, and I'm still starving. And this was literally my life. I was preaching the gospel. I was doing missions, and my inner life, 
I was starving, but I was preaching a message that I didn't even fully let nourish my own heart. So my message in my life from the outside was going uphill. It's like, man, the gospel. But my internal world, spiraling downwards. Because it doesn't matter how well you even know what's in this. Wanda could give me the recipe to it. I could make my own bread. But until I eat it, it doesn't nourish me. And I, the gospel is not just something that we know. It's something that we eat of. It's literally the bread and the wine. It's the Lord's table is this. And so I want to encourage us today to actually receive this and to let it, as we talk about it, to let it hit our hearts and to actually let it give us nutrients and give us life. Amen? So I may not share anything with you today that you've never heard before. Praise God. The gospel's eternal. It doesn't have to always be new. It's really good. Um... Oh, man, I, this is so hard. I, like, have 100,000 things to say. And I was like, I can't say even five things. I can only, like, say half of one thing that I really want to say. But I really felt like what I wanted to do was just start out. I want to pray, but I want to I read some scriptures. I just compiled some scriptures about the body and some scriptures about the blood, and I want to just read through them, and it's hilarious Andrew, you read Colossians 2.14. I was like, that's the, that's the message. That's it. Um, but I, the title of this sermon, if you were to give it a title, is The Table is Set. The Table is Set. We've been talking about the Lord's Table. It's literally right here in front of us. But I want to tell you that right now, each one of you, wherever you are in your life, there's a table set before you. There's a table. It's set before you. And on that table is bread and wine. The table of the Lord never changes. The meal doesn't change. It's eternal. It doesn't change. And so every single one of you, as we read these scriptures, you have access, just like what Andrew was saying, to the power of this in your life. And so I wanna just pray that I'm gonna read these scriptures. It's a lot. And I, I compiled them together, so it's like, a, it's like a paragraph, but it's a lot of, it's literally all scriptures. There's none of my own words added in this, but it's a lot of meat. So get ready to chew, all right? I'm going to try to go through it slow, but I know I'm going to get fired up, so I'm probably going to start going really fast. Y'all can shout me down and tell me to slow down if I get going too fast. Um, but yeah, let's just pray. So Lord, I thank you that you're here with us. Lord, that you're not far off. You're so close. You're so near, Lord. Lord, I pray that our awareness of your nearness would be increased even right now. Lord, I pray that we would see your table. Lord, that we'd be aware of the table that you've prepared for us even now. And Lord, that as we talk about this, Lord, let it be so real to our hearts and become food. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to respond however you feel. I don't know. I just felt to give y'all freedom to do that. 
I don't even know what that means, but you have freedom this morning. So I'm going to read this. As for you, you were dead and your transgressions and sins, and which you once used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And all of us also lived among them at that time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Just like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. When we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for our sake. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For do not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in new life. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for the one who has died has already been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we also believe that we'll live with him. And likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit to God. And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Because we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Because he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them. So now we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us. Through the curtain that is through his flesh. Praise God. Praise God. I told you all it's a lot. That's only half of it. That's just, the, that's just the body. Now we're on the blood. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And through him, he reconciled all things, whether things on heaven or things in earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And he ransomed us from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, not with, per not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He entered once for all 
into the holy places, not, my be- not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. And he secured an eternal redemption. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. For if the blood of bulls and goats sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there no longer remains any offering for sin. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole body and soul and spirit be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Let it be known to you therefore, my brothers and sisters, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free of from the law of Moses. That's good news. I know that was so much. I know that like was a lot at once, but that is some good news. And that is what this table is. And that's what each one of these things on this table, I've read them. I've prayed over them. And I want to tell you, there's not a single one of these things that this body and this blood does not cover. There's not a single thing. (laughs) There's not a single thing. Because his body and blood spilled out was the solution for every effect of sin on mankind. And there's not a single thing here that's not because of the effect of or the result of some kind of sin, whether it's in our culture or something. Does that make sense? I'm not saying it's because you've sinned. I'm saying because sin is present. And the broken body and the broken blood of Jesus covers. It covers. And it changes everything. It changed my life. Like, what I'm speaking today is not a message. I mean, it is a message, but it's literally my life. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's so good. He himself bore our sins in his body. You know, I was reading through Leviticus earlier this week, going through Leviticus 1 through 5 through the animal sacrificial system, Because sometimes I think it's really hard for us to, like, reconcile how does, and again, like, I said this already, but, like, how does Jesus dying on the cross mean that now I'm, like, right before the Lord, right? Like, we can be like, oh, because Jesus died, I'm right. But it's like, but how? I don't know about y'all, but when I read the word, I'm always like, but how, what, when, why, Lord? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not good. When it's done in faith, it's good. When it's done not in faith, then it's just in your flesh. But 
I was reading through Leviticus, and something clicked in me, and I wanted just to share it with y'all. God's way of making people right with himself in the Old Testament was through animal sacrifice. We know this. So Leviticus 1 through 5, it goes through all the different, like, sacrifices for all the different things. There's, like, depending on what it is and who you are in the community, there's different things. Sometimes it's, like, a lamb or a goat or a ram or, like, a dove or different things. But they all kind of are, this is kind of the synopsis of them. And I just want to walk us through this because it helps us understand the cross. If I sinned, I would get a lamb, and I would go to the priest in the tabernacle. And I would walk in, and they would, we'd put the lamb down. I would put my hand on the lamb's head, and it was a, it was a transition of guilt. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm transferring the guilt from me to this animal. And then the, the priest would kill the animal and take the blood of the animal. So now what's actually happening is my sin is on this animal's blood. Now the blood is being spilled, and that blood is now put on the altar. So essentially, I'm dying upon the altar. Does that make sense? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. And so once death has occurred, once death has occurred, sin is done. He who has died has been set free from sin. So in the Old Testament, it was a shadow of this. It was now that this lamb has died, my sins are forgiven because sin has had its final work, not in me, but in this animal. Does that make sense? So now I would be cleansed in the flesh. And I was just thinking about this. It's just, I can't like do this without thinking about how it actually would have been. Could you imagine walking out of the tabernacle knowing that what God has required for you to be made right with him has just occurred? Like you would have been like, okay, yeah, I know that I sinned. I know what I did, but I just did the thing that God told us to do for me to be right before him. You'd be skipping out of the tabernacle. You'd be like, wow, oh my gosh, I'm clean. Like there's no, it's not like, oh, I hope God accepts this. It's like, no, you literally just did what he told you to do. Does that make sense? So you'd be like, oh my, you'd be like this. Wow, I'm clean. But here's what would happen. You'd get a few skips in and you'd realize that you're still the same you. And that sooner or later, you'd be back at the tabernacle with another lamb on another day for another sin. Can you imagine, like, so then imagine later that week, you're there with another lamb. I don't know. I just picture this. Like, it has to be, the Bible has to be real to us or else it's just words. So you're walking into the tabernacle. There's some people sitting there and they're like, man, isn't this the second time Wesley walked in with a lamb this week? I don't know what he's doing, but <laughs> there'd be actual guilt and shame and condemnation. Not only that, but you're buying the lamb. It cost you something. Sin literally had a price. I was just thinking about this. I was like, the more you sinned, the more poor you would be. <laughs> like I was, I was just like, wow, that's crazy. That because sin has a price. But even under that system, you would have walked away from the tabernacle knowing that for that moment and that second, you were cleansed. There's nothing else you needed to do. You were cleansed. You're like, wow, it's done. 
And until you were to sin again, you were cleansed. Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats is good for the sanctifying of the flesh. Because it was external. It was a covering. It didn't change the inside. It didn't change the inside. And I want to tell you, a lot of times, we treat the blood of Jesus like the blood of a normal lamb. We think whenever something happens, we need to come back, and we feel this guilt and shame and condemnation, and we're like, okay, Lord, what do I need to give you? What does it need to cost me? We're like, it's right that I feel guilt and shame because I did something bad. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. I'm not saying there's no repentance. But what I'm saying is we treat the blood of Jesus as a temporary external covering and not as something that actually changes our lives. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Jesus came and lived and died, but he was the perfect son of God. He wasn't an animal. You know, Corinthians says that the first Adam, referring to actually Adam, became a, what was it? Adam became a living being, but the second Adam was a life-giving spirit. So what happened when Jesus came, I was, just, I was like just thinking about this. I was like, man, we literally laid our hands upon Jesus and killed him. Oh, snap. How many times, I was even just reading through the Gospels, that Jesus literally tells his disciples, he says, the Son of Man must suffer at the hands of sinful men. We literally, I taught on this on Passover, we literally laid our hands on Jesus and made him our Passover lamb. And he took our sins upon him. He took them. But here's what happened. He's not just an ordinary lamb. He's a life-giving spirit. And so what happened is we didn't just receive some temporary innocence from a lamb that was slain. It wasn't like, now my guilt's on the lamb, now the lamb's innocence is mine. He was perfect righteousness. And so when our sin went upon him, it was all of it. He was life, and life itself died, and so by nature, we died with him. Don't you know you've been crucified with Christ? But here's what happened when he resurrected. Now, can you imagine, like, I, don't, I was thinking, I was like, I don't even know what to call this. In my head, it kind of sounds like what I would call a soul tie. But it's like, in the Old Testament, you're kind of like tied to this animal, right? Like, once it dies, then it's like, now I'm free. But it would be like if you sacrifice a lamb, and then it just raised back to the life. You're like, what do I do now? <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, what? This isn't in the book. Jesus then rose to life. So he took our guilt upon him, and he gave us his righteousness instead. It wasn't just some temporary innocence. It was literally righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just take your sin. He actually became sinfulness. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. If that wasn't in the Bible, that'd be so heretical. I mean, I'm serious. That you might become the what?
Interesting. It's almost like Jesus believed that the work was finished. Like, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus actually believes what he did on the cross was enough. I don't know if we believe it, but he does. He's pretty sure that what he did was good. But I'm really convicted in my own life and in our own lives where we don't believe what he did was good enough. And, and, and your nearness in the Old Testament was dependent upon your offering to the Lord. Your right standing with God was literally dependent on your offering. Your right standing before the Lord today is dependent on what he's done. Because here's what's crazy. So in the natural, I think there's two, there's, I was kind of seeing like two different things. In the natural, we crucified Jesus, but he actually gave up his life. You know, like he wouldn't have died because he wasn't sinful. So like he wouldn't have, if he didn't give up his life, he couldn't have actually died. But that's, a, that's another sermon. But then in Hebrews, it talks about what happened in the spirit. And in the spirit, we didn't kill Jesus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like in the natural, we killed him. But I was like thinking... For the, for the natural, for the purification of the flesh, we were purified by his blood being poured out. But in Hebrews, it says that he walked into the holy places, not made with human hands, but the true tabernacle. And he put his blood on the mercy seat. And I was seeing this, and I was like, in the heavenlies, the Father offered the Son. You didn't even offer the Son. The Father God so loved the world that he gave his son. The father offered the son to cover you, and then through the spirit, he puts the blood on the altar. Where are you in that equation? Where are you in that equation? All you do is believe it. It's by faith, friends. It's by faith. And so what happens? What do we do? And again, I'm kind of going on a tangent now. I wasn't planning on talking about this for this long. But as New Covenant believers, we're made righteous because of this. It's not because of my life. It's not because of what I have or haven't done. It's fully and completely based on what he's done. Oh, man, getting breadcrumbs. It's fully dependent on what he's done. And I believe it, and I walk in it. And so if I sin, the New Testament never promises that you'll sin, by the way. If you sin, yeah, <laughs> you come to the Lord and you repent. You say, Lord, oh my gosh, this is not who I am. This is not who you've made me to be. I am actually the righteousness of Christ, and I've been deceived by the enemy to do something that is not me. Y'all know that, oh man, oh, this is interesting. How much sin did Adam and Eve have in them before the, before the fall? None, but they sinned. How sinful were they before the fall? But they sinned. Y'all catch that? How sinful were, how, how much sin was inside Adam and Eve? None, but they sinned. They were deceived. They believed something that wasn't true, and it caused them to do something that wasn't them. 
A lot of believers, I believe, in the new covenant are sinning by faith. You're listening to a voice of who you are and you're acting it out because it's by faith. There is no other solution. There is no other message for mankind than this table. Like, (laughs) I was literally just envisioning, like, can you imagine Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sitting there and he's like, Father, is there any other way? Like, can this cut pass? And the father's like, looks back at the plan. He's like, oh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. There is. There's a plan B, Jesus. Instead of giving your body, you're just, you're just going to become a philanthropist. And instead, you're just going to tell people about how to live their lives well, and you're just going to be really generous, and wealth is going to change the world. He's like, you know what, Jesus, you're right. No, no, no. Just, just become a politician instead. What you're going to do, you're just going to give some really good policies. And through good policies and laws and government, we're going to change the world one step at a time. He's like, you know what, Jesus, yeah, yeah, forget the cross. Forget the cross. Just become a philosopher. You're going to teach people how to love. And they're just going to, one little act of kindness after the other is going to, over the time, the world will just be changed into a better place. The father said, no, there's no other way. And I want to tell you, today, there's still no other way. <laughs> there's still no other way. He, Jesus would not have come and died if there was an easier, better way. There's no other way, friends. But I'm really convicted by the ways that we make. And again, I'm not like, if you, if the Lord grabs your heart and he's like, go into politics, praise God. Like we, amen, right? Like there's some bills being passed right now that are not the kingdom of God. Like we need people in politics. We need, if you need, like if the Lord calls you to be a Christian philosopher, go for it. Like we need that. I'm not bashing any of those things, but I'm saying if your solution is unto politics and not politics unto the kingdom, then you're sitting at a different table. And as Andrew said a few weeks ago, whoo, somebody else is the host at that table. At the Lord's table, he's the host. And at the other tables, there's other hosts. That's pretty, that's, whoo, that's pretty crazy, actually. I'm just thinking about that right now as I'm saying it even more. That's wild. The blood of Jesus gives us a clean conscience before him. How can we enter in? Like I just read all these verses about entering in with a true heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In the old covenant sacrifices, the, the blood of lambs was a reminder of sins every year. It actually was meant to remind you that you weren't perfect, that you needed a savior. The blood of Jesus, this table, is actually meant for you to just be able to enter into the presence unashamedly. Because you're not focused on you anymore, you're focused on him. Like, the, the sin by its nature is selfish. Self, right? Like, the beginning, Adam and Eve, the fall, it's... The first, I've talked about this before, but it's like the very next, the first response to the fall is Adam saying, 
the Lord's like, where are you, Adam? And he says, I hid myself because I knew I was naked and I was afraid. Literally. I was like, that's a lot of eyes in one sentence. Because his eyes were opened. So sin by nature is selfish. But when we understand this table, our focus totally goes to him and what he's done. And my confidence to enter into the presence of the Lord has nothing to do with my life. That's what's wrong with me. I'm serious. What's wrong with me is that I'm 100% sure that I belong in the presence of the Lord because of what he's done. And there's not a single thing on this planet that will ever take me away from him. Ever. Like, <laughs> literally, I'm like, he's done it. Like, tell me, tell me what's more powerful than his cross. And it's in that place that I become more and more like him. He's, for, he's forever perfected those who are being sanctified. You don't get sanctified outside of his presence so then you can go into his presence. You get sanctified sitting right here with him. You know, I was really struck in Hebrews, it talks about, it says that the priest of old would stand in his presence ministering daily, offering repeatedly gifts and sacrifices. They stood daily offering these things. And it says, but Christ, when he'd offered for a single time a sacrifice for sins, sat down. He's done. Now he's a high priest and he's waiting from this time for his enemies to be made his footstool. So what's Jesus' plan for his enemies to be made his footstool? This. So if Jesus is sitting down waiting for his enemies to be made to your footstool, maybe you should sit down with him and wait for your enemies to be made to your footstool. Because I'm pretty sure he's sitting at this table. I can't do a wall. So there's like, look at that right there. I think he's sitting at the table because he knows the power of this. He knows what it does. And I want to tell you, I've, I know I've said this, but like this has literally impacted every single area of my life. I was burned out because I was preaching a message that was true, but my life wasn't true. The message was great, but my life didn't look like it because I didn't know I needed to eat it. I thought it was like about understanding, but it's actually about interacting and every day waking up. I have a, I have a little poster in my room, it says, what is the blood speaking to me today? So I wake up, the first thing I see is, what is the blood speaking to me today? He speaks, you're forgiven. He speaks, you're mine. His blood is actually speaking. Did y'all know that? You can actually listen. Actually, Dane and, and uh, Jordan was the one, he was praying over me, and he said, if the blood is speaking, that means you can learn from the blood. And I made my, my New Year's resolution for this year was to be a student of the blood of Jesus. Because I'd rather be a student of what he's speaking than what the enemy's speaking and what culture's speaking and what I'm speaking. Did you know you can be a student of the blood of Jesus? The sure sign that we understand the new covenant is that we have confidence to enter no matter what. Like, that's, that's what it boils down to. If your confidence to enter the presence is at all dependent on you, then there's some old, old covenant mindset in there. There's some treating Jesus like the blood of an ordinary lamb. Because his eternal he's bought for us is, his redemption he's bought for us is eternal. It's eternal. 
That means it doesn't pass. It doesn't fade away. It's more eternal than I even realize that it is. What does it mean to live before the Lord with a clean conscience? You know, Paul goes before the high council and acts. And he says before them, he says, brothers, I testify you today that I've lived my life up to now with a clean conscience before God. And they command him to be struck on the mouth. Because, because the religious spirit will never achieve a clean conscience. Because by nature, religion is your inadequacies are what fuel you to him. So you can only be as close to God as you are aware that you're a sinner. You understand that? I hear people all the time be like, well, like, if I, when I talk about, like, you can actually be dead to sin, which is all over the Bible. I mean, if you want to talk about that. I would love to talk about any of this, by the way. Please come talk to me. We can wrestle through it. People are like, then what do you need Jesus for? I've had so many people tell me that. Y'all laugh, but it's so real. And I know some of you in this room are thinking that. If you can only be as close to the Lord as you recognize that you're a sinner, whoo, you'll always exalt your sin above him because it's the thing that you think draws him to you or you to him or both. Your relationship with the Lord has to be rooted on so much more than that. You're his son. You're his heir. Like, you're literally in his house. You're resurrected with him in new life. Like, oh my gosh. Whoo! That's, that's its own thing. A clean conscience before the Lord means that I live my life before him and him alone, and I only eat from one table. I want to tell you, <laughs> I only eat from one table. Like, there's times when I, like, kind of wander, and I'm, like, eating at no table, and I'm, like, oh, my gosh, and I'm back at the Lord's table. It's a clean conscience. And the only way to get a clean conscience is the blood. It literally, as Hebrew says, it washes our conscience clean from every dead work that we may serve the living God. Without this, you can't really serve the living God because your conscience will, your, I think I'm just like, this is me just summarizing this right now. These are just active thoughts. Here we go. I think sin at its core is selfishness and it causes a defiled conscience. Like the work of sin from the beginning is defiling your conscience before God. Can we, like, right? Like, Adam and Eve, literally, it was, as soon as they sinned, their conscience is defiled. It's like, I can't be in the presence of the Lord, and they hid. So the, the power of sin is to defile your conscience, which leads you away from the Lord, which leads you into death, and the wages of sin is death. The power of the cross is that it gives you a clean conscience, and you can enter his presence, and you find life and life abundant. My conscience is clean before the Lord. I testify to you today that because of this, I have a clean conscience before God. <laughs> and there's nothing that will defile it. Because it's not based on me. 
the only thing that could defile my conscience would be if he undid what he did. And as Jesse so amazingly said, he will not sew back together the veil that was torn of his flesh, and he can't put that blood back inside of him. It's poured out. That veil of his flesh is torn, friends. He's not sewing it back together. And as long as that veil is torn, I can enter in. It is the only solution. It is the only way. For everything on this table, everything that we're facing, it is the only way. I was thinking a couple days ago, as I was talking about it's the only way, I said in my head, I was like, I will die on no other hill. And then the Lord finished the sentence, other than the hill upon which I died. So I tell you today, I will die on no other hill than on the hill upon which he died, which is Calvary. There's no other hill that I'll die on that's a solution for mankind. There's nothing else that I'll die on to say, this is it. This is what we need. There's no other hill. Just, just what he did. Because he would not have died on that hill if there was another way. And so what does it mean? How do we actually do this practically? We read the word and we believe it. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I was like, I want to make this really practical. And I was like, how, I was like, I don't know what to say other than read the word and believe it, even if you don't think it's true. And when you read things like that you've been crucified with him and it's no longer you who live, but he who lives in you, are you going to believe what this says or believe what your life looks like? You're like, I, doesn't, I don't think the Lord lives in me because I just this, this, and whatever. I actually read this and I'm like, oh, wow, Lord, you live here? You're here? Okay, that changes things. I've said this before, but I, I think about this all the time. Either you're a sinner and you're walking in darkness and you have no hope and the Lord is not here, or you're clean and righteous and holy, and the Lord is here. There's no in-between. There's no, like, well, the Lord's, I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm still a sinner. Like, oh, so you're now in Christ, and Christ is in you, and now he's unified with your sin. No. Like, how much sin did Jesus die for? How much sin did he bury? How much sin did he raise with? None of it. So if I'm in him and he's in me and I'm unified with him, my goodness. There's no way the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and your heart is not sprinkled clean. You would explode and die. If the God of the universe, the holiness himself, was living right here and you were not changed, you'd be dead. It's what happened to Uzzah and, and Samuel when he reached out to touch the ark of God. I want to tell you that because of this, you're cleansed. You're clean. Hallelujah! Amen. And I, what I want to do actually is I want to, we're going to end receiving communion. And I'm going to read a couple of these verses again. And I, if there's something that sticks out to you, I, I want to just like, ugh, 
wrestle with it with the Lord. If you're having trouble believing it, don't just be like, okay, yeah, like ask him, Lord, how are you crucified? And how am I crucified with you? What does that truly mean? So I'm going to read these. If you can get your communion elements out. Actually, I don't know. I just can't shake the need for feeling this. Does anybody have questions about this? Do you feel like there's something that doesn't make sense to you? Is there something that's like th things that seem contradictory to you? I just want to give space for that. Yeah. Yeah, like when your life doesn't look like it. Yeah, no, that's super real. And that's, that's the exact question that causes us to, to, like, it causes us to read this through the lens of what our life looks like. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we read that we're crucified with Christ and we're dead to sin and we're literally like, no, I'm not. Right? Like, it's like, no, like, uh, Paul, I don't know if you've been looking at my life, but I'm not dead to sin. That was me for so long. And what happened is, is I realized, it's kind of what I shared earlier. This is hard to describe. I was sinning by faith. So the, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's always accusing us. And I was listening to his voice about who I was and what my life looked like. And he was saying, Wesley, you're stuck in sin. And I'm like, yeah, I'm stuck in sin. He's saying, Wesley, you have these wounds from your childhood that you just can't be free from. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, that happened and that happened and I got betrayed and yeah. And so I was living out those things. It's not, I wasn't trying, it just was. And what happened is I started reading this and I said, either the word of God is true or my life is true. They can't both be true because they're like this. So one of these, one, between me and the word, one is true and one is not. Hmm, which one would I rather, you know, it's like, they can't both be true. And so I was like, I'm going to go on God's word. And so it's by faith. Faith is not denying what is. It's seeing beyond it. So like I love in, in Hebrews and in Romans, it talks about Abraham. And it says that Abraham, when the promise of Isaac came, Abraham considered his own body as dead. He considered it. He literally looked at his body. He said, I'm like 100 years old. I'm not having a kid. I'm dead. He considered his body as dead, but he counted him faithful who had promised. And the other one in Romans, I believe, is where it says he considered his own body as dead, but he did not waver in faith. And I was like, wait, what? So faith is looking at my life and looking like, man, I just totally blew up. That's my life, but this is what the word says, and it's saying, this is true. 
And it's not denying this. It's saying, I'm being, I'm being sanctified. I'm being changed into the likeness of Christ. And the way that I'm changed is not by waiting until I'm perfect to get into his presence. It's by sitting with him and eating the bread of his body and the blood that he poured out and saying, man, I'm going to sit here and just be sanctified as I sit here with you, Lord. Because I'll never be good enough to enter in on my own. And so until I can sit with him and say, man, I'm just going to sit here and eat this and receive this with you. I'll just go through the same sin cycles. And it's why, I was, it's why I was saying about a clean conscience. It's because the blood actually cleanses our conscience from every dead work. So my awareness of my dead works is gone. It doesn't mean, again, if I commit a dead work, if I commit a sin, I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, that's not me. Like, I repent, Lord. I'm so sorry. Like, that's not in line with what you did on the cross. Like, it's a true repentance. It's like, Lord, oh my gosh, you literally died to make me righteous and I'm not walking in it. But then I come to the blood and it cleanses my conscience. And I don't carry that anymore. And it, that sounds like, oh, that's kind of like, so you just forget about your sins? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of what Jesus did. That's kind of what he said was the purpose, that he's removing his sin, our sins from as far as east is from the west. The Lord actually says, it was right in there. And then he adds, I will remember their sin and lawless deeds no more. And where there's forgiveness of these, there no longer remains any offering for sin. So if Jesus wasn't for. If Jesus was still had your sins on the forefront of his mind, he would continue to need to offer himself in order to cleanse him from them. Does that make sense? It's only because he has forgotten your sins and lawless deeds that there's no more sacrifice or offering for your sins. Because if, if his consciousness was still all aware of that, then he would need an offering for you. But he's already offered it. He looks at, he looks at this and he says, oh, it's finished. Does that make sense? I know that might be hard. It's like, it's really like, it's a journey and it's really good, but I want to tell you, it's like, <laughs> ooh, it's life. It's life. Oh, it's life. And it's by faith. And again, faith is not some like, fake it till you make it. It's not deny reality and just speak truth. It's not like, oh, I'm just, it's like faith sees what is, but it sees what actually is. If you, can't, if you can't see beyond what's happening, how would I say this? I'm, this is just a simple illustration. If I'm sick and I have to say, I'm not sick, in order to have faith, then you don't have faith. That's not faith. Denying reality is not faith. If you have to deny what is to have faith, you don't have faith. Faith says, I'm sick, but God. It's higher than what's, what's happening to you. If you have to deny what's happening in order to have faith, what you're doing is just denying. Faith is not denial. Abraham considered, but he didn't waver in faith. And actually, if you say, I'm not sick, then what you're saying is, the Lord can't heal me because I'm not sick. Like, that's so weird. It's like, no, I'm sick, but the Lord's going to heal me. Like, I'm sick, but he's Jehovah Jireh. Like, he's Rapha. That's faith. And so, for me, if I'm living a life that doesn't look like what the Word of God says, it doesn't mean I didn't sin. 
It means, yeah, I totally just messed up, but God. But God. But you know what? He didn't mess up. <laughs> he was completely successful. He completely accomplished the work which he set out to do, and that work was to make me righteous and to purify my conscience. Does that make sense? All right. I know I'm going long. Y'all are like, you're like, this is a lot. It's a lot of meat. Um, if anyone, we're going to do a little differently because we're, it's for the sake of time. Let's just take communion together. Um, Jason, can you put on, yeah, thank you. Y'all know Mark Slack just released a new instrumental album and it's absolutely amazing. It's called Abiding. Is it Abiding? Abiding, abiding Instrumental Worship. Absolutely amazing. I've been listening to it like on repeat for a whole week. It's so good. Let's receive communion. So Lord, pray out whatever's in your heart silently or out loud I don't care I don't need to lead you through this I just proclaim to you this table and you can interact with it however you feel led the table is set for you the table is set for you actually I don't even want to lead us in communion let's do this before the Lord in our own hearts there's a table set before you Interact with it as you feel led by the Lord.
if you're still receiving communion, you can just continue, but you're also, you're released. You're free to go. We can have our ministry teams come to the front. If you want prayer, if you want ministry, also, I would love to talk with anybody who wants to wrestle through any of this. I'm not afraid of questions. 